Did you know that right now there's a group of people running the business of their dreams? They are respected leaders in their field, working with clients they love and serving them profitably. Now, are they famous? Depends on who you ask. They're not signing autographs at the grocery store or taking selfies every five minutes. They're not trying to be everywhere on social media. Yet when they show up at trade events and conferences, they are recognized and sought after. They're the ones everyone else looks up to. They're the next generation of thought leaders in their space. So what's their secret? Well, they've become famously influential to the right people, and so can you. Today, we'll dig into the story of one of these leaders and deconstruct how they became micro-famous. You won't just come away inspired, you'll come away with a new strategy and a new way of thinking. So while your competition is scattered, chaotic, and chasing every shiny object, you can move forward with confidence and clarity. I'm your host, Matt Johnson, agency founder and author of Microfamous. And if you're ready to become famously influential to the right people, let's get started. What's up, everybody? Welcome back to Microfamous Conversations. I'm super excited for you because you're about to hear an amazing conversation. Um, but I'm also excited that I'm here too. So I've got Peter Winnick back with me, and we're talking about uh, live events and where's the money going. So all these uh, all these brands, all these uh, companies that would normally put their executives on stages, buy a booth, or they just flat out be a headline sponsor for the event and plow you know ten grand or even fifty grand or hundred grand or whatever into these events. Where's that money going now that live events are pretty much uh, off the table? Uh, and so Peter has some really interesting stuff to share on you know, going back and understanding, well, why are companies at these events and how can we capitalize on that as thought leaders to make sure that we are helping be a solution for them? Uh, and then if we are the thought leader that's used to generating leads at events, well, what do we need to shift our sponsorship dollars and our event dollars and our, tra our travel budget? Where do we shift our money to? So there's two parts to this in one really short, hard hitting episode. If you don't remember Peter from his last appearance, uh, he hosts a podcast called Leveraging Thought Leadership. Um, you can visit him at thoughtleadershipleverage.com. He runs an agency that essentially helps people in the thought leadership space package and monetize their expertise a lot of times uh, then to repackage it and, and kind of sell it into the big corporate space, the fortune 500 space. So if you're a thought leader that wants to go speak at big company events, or you want to sell consulting to events and live events, um, uh, you know, have kind of been the way that you met people, networked, built authority, closed deals, like all that stuff. Um, if you've got a book, if you're in that world, you're an academic, you're an ex executive, that type of thought leader, Peter's your guy. So we kind of run in similar circles and he serves similar to types of clients, but not identical. And so I love his perspective on things because he's got a lot of ties into the bigger company world than I do. And it really has his pulse on what's happening as it relates to this kind of world of thought leaders that want to speak and sell to those companies. So without further ado, let's jump right in because this is a nice, short, hard-hitting episode. This is Peter Winnick. Peter, officially welcome back. Hey, thanks for having me back, man. <laughs> I am super excited. We're going to dive right into the topic. So we're talking about where's the money? There is a, a lot of money that should be going into live events, into sponsorships, into booths, into putting executives onto stages, all this stuff, which is part of the, what you do sure. with, with clients is kind of connecting, making all these connections and helping them structure their content in such a way that they're in demand for those sorts of things. So my question for you is like in the conversations you're having with organizations and the speakers who are talking to them and, and the event you know, planners and all this stuff, where's sure. the money going? Where's the brand and the sponsorship money flowing to right now? Yeah, so let's let's unpack that a little bit, right? So why were we having all these events, right? Just a few months ago, why did it seem like everybody was going to three or four events a month? And I think there were three reasons. Number one, if you're a little bit more junior, it's a milestone 
when you're sitting in a company for someone to say, hey, Matt, you know what, um, why don't you go represent us either as a, in, in the trade booth or as an attendee or whatever at this association thing? And you're like, hey, that's pretty groovy. I get to go like stay at the Sheridan and eat at Ruth Chris and expense that. That's the milestone. That's actually a very small percentage, but, I, but it is an important is thing. part of sort of getting, you know, hazed into, a, you know, event world, right? Yeah. But the other two are, are really the primary. Number one is content. So it's convenient for me to spend three days in Scottsdale or Orlando or Las Vegas or whatever, because my industry is there. I'm gonna learn about the technologies. I'm gonna learn about the trends. I'm gonna learn about where it's going. And it's a fairly efficient way to do that in terms of everything is in one place at one time. So it's sort of the mall of thought leadership. Um, and the other piece is community. So people don't really, um, put that as the lead, particularly if they're trying to sell it to their boss of why they should fund this thing. But Matt lives in San Diego. Peter lives in New York. We dig each other. It's one time a year we get together. Um, we get to have a cocktail or three, right? We get to talk. Um, it's career insurance. You have a network. I have a network. Maybe I'm leaving my company and all these sort of intangible things, but it's important. And those things are really, really important. So number one, I think thought leaders, which are in the business of having content, need to rethink Several things. Number one is, is there an opportunity for you to wrap your content in community, right? And that's important, right? right? So yeah. what is it about your content that a group of like-minded folks would want to gather sort of around the campfire with and how do you facilitate that? The other piece is making sure your content is still relevant today. And, and content isn't like milk with an expiration date, but content has to be aligned to what's going on in the world and more importantly, the business world. So the things that were in vogue way back in February, the war for talent, the employee experience, mindfulness in the workplace. It's hard to even say these with a straight face, unfortunately, because <laughs> they're just yeah. not in, you know, it's, it, yeah. there's a level of tone deafness. If I said, Hey, I'm the, I'm the, you know, mindfulness in the workplace. You're like, wait a minute, 40 million people lost their jobs and I work mm -hmm. from home now. And like, yep. so what is it that you need to do? And I think oh, this is where thought leaders get lazy to say, wait a minute, I have to, everything that's worked for me for the last 10 years, I just keep doing what I'm doing. I have to rethink this. The world is really different now. The way people are working, where they're working, how they're working, fear. There's all sorts of uncertainty going on. Is my stuff aligned to that? Nobody wants to hear another motivational speaker getting up there going, the best year ever. It's not the best year ever. And for yes. many of this, that's a first, right? So yeah. I think community and content poignancy, if you will, mm -hmm. are key. And then we can talk about modalities as well. But does that... that yeah, well, I, I guess it, it opens up another can of worms because so the question is where where's the money flowing? And it's a good question because when you when you look at the three reasons that people are doing events, you can't send junior people to events right now. And what good does it do to put them on a Zoom? Because they're not really, again, it right. goes back to the third part, the community part, that there's just less of that. Like you can do breakout sessions in Zoom and, and God bless people for trying, but it's just, it doesn't align well with, with human nature, right? Like us just trying to network and sit in front of a, a Zoom uh, is not the best way to, uh, to build a real sense of community, but, you know? But I would, I would push on that method, but in the yeah. absence of having real community to go to, there is still a human need for it. So I would That's agree true. with you. It wasn't designed to meet that need, mm. but when they took away all the other stuff, like, you know. <laughs> Actual human interaction. Yeah, right. Like, let's, let's, go to a, let's go to a bar after work and have a beer with my buddies. Like, okay, well, I guess this is, I don't feel as pathetic drinking alone if I'm doing it on a screen with 10 friends. <laughs> right? So there is a human yes, nature piece to that. That is true. That is true. So it's the, the, yes, we're, 
in the in the lack of all other available choices, uh, yeah, pe- maybe people will. Yes, that so that makes sense. The question is, do companies? Uh, did they see the value in that? I, I get it from the perspective of someone that's going, look, I would normally go to events and now my really my only option to network with people that I really enjoy being around from all across the country is to hop on Zoom for, for some sort of an event or a virtual okay, so thing. Okay, so let's break that down mm-hmm. to what are the business outcomes of going to an yes. event, right? So when I walk through the exhibition hall, there's a lot of people selling a lot of stuff, mm-hmm. right? So they, they need to sell. Why did they go there? Because somebody brought the marketplace to them so that they would pay $10,000 for a 10 square foot booth. Okay. Mm -hmm. So they just don't have that as an option. So what do they need to do? They need to figure out how to get back to selling more effectively. So that is going to be Zoom. Are they reaching out to enough people? Do I have my lead generation systems and processes? So some of the exhibit hall money needs to be put into other lead generation tools because that's basically a lead generation piece or client acquisition piece. Yeah. Um, So, you just need to reallocate your dollars there and say, well, how do I find the people I need to find? Oh, I guess Google's going to win the war there, right? Like we're going to go into SEO and all that. What are the other elements? Okay, so some of the other benefits that companies had is we've got our leaders up on stage talking about X, whatever X is that's important to our business because we're setting the tone or we're, we're seen as a leader there, whatever. Okay, well, it was convenient to get the SVP in front of the room of 500 and spend an hour talking to 500 we don't want him spending 500 hours talking to one, mm-hmm. but maybe he can spend, you know, 20 hours talking to whatever the math is. Can he do smaller groups mm-hmm. over a period of time right. and do it that way? And I think you have to be more creative because we're going there to get our message out to people. We're going there to connect with people. It's not just the networking. So now, there are scalable ways thing. to do that as well. Yeah, because I was talking to a gal that works more on the brand side, and she, that's one of the things that the ideas that she brought up that people are throwing around and just now starting to experiment with is exactly that. So, how do you bring, how do you break that audience of 500 people up into, you know, 10 groups of 50 or five, 50 groups of 10? If it's into, like into, a local, into smaller cohorts. Yeah, smaller cohorts, exactly. And then, you know, do you, do you fly out? You know, or do you put them all in similar locations and you broadcast and you live stream a keynote from one place into those different places? So I can see things like that. I think there's going to be a lot of interesting things that people try. <clears throat> but like in, in a lot of places, um, you know, even at the height of things, you could, you could get together groups of 10. You could probably get away with groups of 15 or 20. Like you can get together in a conference room with the people that would fit in a conference room. You just yeah, couldn't get exactly, 100 people exactly. together in a church or a, or a uh, you know, a big office sure. or something like that. So I think those, like even, even if, uh, you know, even during April and May, those types of options, if we would have thought about them then, we could have started experimenting with those kinds of things. And that right. makes and, a lot of and sense. I think, and I think podcasting is exploding as a result, right? Yeah. So the, the other piece is, okay, let's marketing dollars, because that's what we're doing, or our travel dollars, which are a subset of the marketing dollars, and say, uh-oh, I guess our SVP needs to do, you know, we need to create some new metrics for him or her, mm-hmm. and say, you need to do 30 podcasts to reach the audience, because the whole point yeah. is reaching the right audience, and the convenience of them all being in Scottsdale for three days in April was wonderful. Well, I still need to find them, because I still have my KPIs that I need to achieve, mm-hmm. and now they're just everywhere all the time. So, what are the podcasts that they might be listening? What are the groups on LinkedIn they might be listening to? Maybe I need to invest in my own thought leadership mm-hmm. to use that as a way to attract uh, 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 people to, to hear what I have to say. Yeah. Yeah. And, and we were talking a little bit about this behind the scenes last time we chatted. Just the, the trade associations are in a weird spot because they're used to providing value through their events and now they can't provide events. So, it's like, well, how, how are we going to bring value to our members 
right? But they've got an email. But, but, but I think associations are an opportunity. I think yeah, exactly. associations actually are a fantastic opportunity because most, and, and, and listen, there, there's like any other industry, there's good, there's bad, there's ugly, whatever. But most associations generated most of their revenue off of that one, one big event or the regional events or whatever. And it was a pretty templated rinse, lather, repeat. It's always the third week in March. And, you know, plus or minus, we're going to get our 600 people and they're going to spend X and whatever. Okay, well, if they lose a year and then they're going to lose probably two years because next year it's not going to look like what last year did. Right. Um, what do they need to do? Well, if you look at all of their mission statements, the first, second, or third bullet is to serve and educate our members. Okay, well, how are you now doing that if we're all not getting together? You better go out there as an association lead and get a bunch of content and push it out there, mm-hmm. right? Because otherwise, when it's time for me to look at that bill to renew my membership fee, if I didn't go to the event, mm-hmm. um, you're at risk. Yeah. You're at a big risk. Yeah, and, and maybe they're the ones that are, uh, I don't know if they'll lead the way on much of anything uh, with it being right. a trade association, but but they, I think they have the best opportunity with the access to the, the broad audiences that they have in an industry. Like they should be the ones leading the way on developing those cohorts we talked about. Because like if you look at like a realtor association in California, who should be putting together cohorts of 50 agents in every city to get right. together and, and, you know, like build that sense of community and then deliver content in a smaller way to like smaller groups of people. Right. But, but, whether they're savvy, but, but whether they're savvy enough or quick enough to do it, right. if I was in the business of selling content to real estate agents, whether it's in Southern California or not, I'd go to them and say, listen, I've got something for you. I've got mm-hmm. the new blah, blah, blah to sell to agents. You've got access to agents. Here's how we're going to divide that pie. Yep. Right. They've got distribution. I've got content. Let's figure out how to, how to work together. Yeah. And I think a lot of associations haven't done collaborative work and all that sort of things. And, and, and you might need to be a bit patient with them, but they have what you want, which is they've aggregated a, mm-hmm. a, a market for you. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, they've got access to a huge swath of people that you want to sell to. Uh, and maybe not the strongest relationship, but you never know. Um, so, yeah, we're, we're talking about some, you know, interesting options for things uh, and just things that we could be doing, you know, come come the new year and things like that. And uh, I think with an association in particular, that, that opportunity to do some sort of combination of content and networking, where people yep. jump on Zoom, you're delivering content for maybe the first 10 to 15 minutes, just enough that people can handle its tactical bite-sized stuff, mm-hmm. and then jump right into, you know, like a live consulting session where it's a Q&A, mm-hmm. or yep. li- even live coaching. Uh, so I think there's some yep. opportunities there for coaches to do like live strategy sessions with people and let yeah, an audience so. of people watch and ask questions live. So we might just start to see some really interesting things if they can get associations on board to let them experiment a little bit. And that's... That's what would be really interesting well, you, to see. I think we're living in a time where there's a window open now for everyone to experiment about everything. So a year ago, if I was a keynoter and you hired me for your event, Matt, I couldn't say to you, you know what? I've never done it this way before. I'm going to totally try it a totally new, radically different way where I'm not even going to be there. And say, like, what are you, out of your mind? Like, I'm going to send my I'm avatar. Like, no, yeah. no, do the same thing you do every damn week in front of all the different audiences because we know that it works. But there is a window that not enough people are taking advantage of to be able to honestly say to a client, listen, I, I, you know and I know that I haven't done it exactly this way before, but based on our conversation, here's what I'm thinking. I can do instead of a keynote, three 20 minute Q and A, whatever, whatever. You can be creative and say, let's, let's talk about it in the, under the umbrella of an experiment. Cause by definition, some experiments don't work as well as others. Mm-hmm. And as long as you're sort of walking through the client, nobody can go to a client today and say, Oh, I've, I've been doing it for 10 years this way. No, you haven't. You've been like, 
no, that's not true. You know, <laughs> so I think it's, it's an opportunity to take advantage and, 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 you know, hold the client's hand and do some trial and error together. I, I agree. Yeah, I think, and and at least in my world, part of the the way that thought leaders get to the where they are is they're damn good salespeople. So, of all the people <laughs> that should be able to go in and <laughs> convince people to try something harebrained and new uh, in the uh, in the dumpster fire of a year we're living in, it should be uh, should be the people in my world. Um, but particularly okay. when the default is no longer an option. Yes, it does help. Yeah, it does. It does help to uh, get there, get them uh, off the couch, so to speak. Yeah, um, exactly. So, uh, so we're we're going to record. Uh, we're going to split this up and and have a, another section of our conversation because I want to go in a different direction on the psychology of of why people buy at events a little bit and kind of pick your brain on some things so that there's another episode for people to look forward to. What's the best way for people to get more of you and especially get plugged into your world and your podcast? Yeah, so you can email me directly at peter at thoughtleadershipleverage.com. You can go to our site, which is thoughtleadershipleverage.com. And the podcast is Leveraging Thought Leadership, which is on all the usual places one would expect. Uh, mm -hmm. Spotify, iTunes, all the others. Perfect. All right, man. Super, super fun. Make sure to, uh, for everyone that's listening right now, go do that. I was on the show a while back. It was actually one of the ways that Peter and I first started to get to know each other. And it's a great podcast. I know other folks that have been on it like Nikki Blue, and, and there's a lot of great guests. So people should absolutely go check out the podcast immediately. Uh, and Peter, thanks so much for doing this. Oh, my pleasure. Thanks for having me. Thanks for listening to the Micro Famous Podcast. If you're ready to become famously influential to the right people, connect with us at getmicrofamous.com. It's the best way to take the next step to implementing the Micro Famous strategy in your business so you can attract an audience, build influence, and become the Micro Famous leader you're meant to be. And we'll see you on the next episode.